Hi, I'm Joseph Feraldi. I want to thank you for joining us here at Bayside Chapel Online. Our prayer is that today's service will be a blessing to you, that it will encourage you in your journey with Jesus Christ, and it will help you to see all that God has in store for you. We would love to hear from you on how God is using this ministry to bless you, and we'd love the opportunity to pray for you. Just send us an email at amen at baysidechapel.org. Remember that you can stay in touch with us at any time. Just visit the App Store and search for our app at Bayside Chapel of NJ. Also, if God is using this ministry to bless you, we'd like to give you the opportunity to partner with us financially. Simply go online to BaysideChapel.org or use the Bayside Chapel app and choose whatever option works best for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, we're in our third week of our sermon series that we've titled Holy Roar, where we're spending eight weeks on eight different words that will change the way in which we worship. So two weeks ago, we looked at the Hebrew word yada, which is a confession or declaration of who God is or what he does, a going public with what we have come to believe about him. Last week, we learned the, the Hebrew word halal, the primary Hebrew word for praise. It's an exuberant expression of the celebration of God through prayer, through music, through singing and dancing. It's a kind of individual or corporate praise that boasts in God. Well, our word of the day today is the Hebrew word. Let's see if I can get it right. Shabbat. You can see it on the screen behind me. Let's try to say it together. Shabbat. Very good. You did better than the first service. <laughs> Well, the word Shabbat is also commonly translated praise, but it can also be translated to commend, to glory, or triumph. The primary root meaning behind the word is to address in a loud tone. So the word Shabbat is to express praise, but in a loud tone or a loud voice. So this is in contrast to that of a reflective or meditative or quiet attitude of worship. This is loud. This is a shout of praise. It literally means to raise a holy roar. If you look at the sermon series logo behind me on the screen, what is it that you see? That's right. And a lion's roar isn't exactly quiet, is it? In fact, a single roar can reach up to 114 decibels. And it's been said that it can be heard up to five miles away. Check out this video. So, Shabbat, a shout of praise, a holy roar. Our text this morning is Psalm 63, so if you have your Bibles uh, with you, which we definitely encourage you to, to uh, bring your Bibles with you, uh, go ahead and turn there. If you don't have your Bible with you this morning, you can follow along in the Bayside app as well as on the screen behind me. Through our text this morning, we'll find three different times or maybe seasons of life that King David found it appropriate to raise a holy roar, times or situations that he found himself in himself in, where he could do nothing else but raise a shout of praise. 
times when we too should sing out with loud praise to our God. So let's take a look at our text, Psalm 63, starting in verse 1. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. Because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. So David begins this psalm with a series of confessions or declarations. He says, God, you are my God. Earnestly, I seek you. God, I declare that you are my God. You know, David states that he lives in this personal relationship with his father, that he has a personal relationship with his maker, with his God. And this is something that David doesn't want to take for granted. We can hear through these words. We can see that this relationship has taken such a high priority in his life as he earnestly seeks after God. You see, David is passionately seeking after God. He's longing for him. He continues, my soul, it thirsts for you. My flesh, it it faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Well, it's well thought that our text this morning was written while David was in the Judean wilderness, either during his escape from Saul or even more likely during a later period when he was on the run from his own son, Absalom. You see, his own son was trying to steal the throne of Israel away from David. His own son, Absalom, was causing divisions in the kingdom, trying to become the king. So David's on the run. He's in the wilderness. He's desperately longing for fellowship with his God as much as one can who thirsts for water after many days in the desert. You know, as you can imagine, there is no thirst or sense of fatigue like that of a person who walks around the desert with no water. He says, my soul, it thirsts for you. My flesh, it faints for you. He's saying, I've worked up such a hunger and thirst for God traveling across these dry and weary lands. My whole body longs for you, God. You know, it reminds me of a story told by Larry Olson in his book, Outdoor Survival Skills. He says this about a man once lost in the desert. He's been out of food and water for days. His, his lips are swollen. His tongue is swollen. He's all beat up and bloody. Some of his bones are almost peeking through. He's been scraped and beat up by the cactus in the sand in the sun. He's blistered. You know, as he's crawling over this little hill, he comes across this little plant, and he props himself up on one bloody elbow, looks down at this plant, says, you know, if things keep going like this, I just might get discouraged. While David may have physically been on the run in the wilderness or desert regions, but the real wilderness or desert was in his own heart. You see, David is desperately longing to find his sustenance and peace from his God. And it could have been so very easy for him to give up or to get discouraged, couldn't have it? He goes on, verse 2, So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory. He says, God, I know what it looks like to be in your awesome presence. I know what it's like to stand in awe of your power and your glory. 
You know, it's clear throughout the Old Testament that God had manifested himself in the tabernacle and later on in the temple. He's manifested himself in a physical, visual presence. And we see this uh, as Moses dedicated the tabernacle in Exodus 40, verses 34 and 35, where it says, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it. And the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. David says, I've looked upon you in your sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, and I stand in awe. Verse 3, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. And it's here that our Hebrew word this morning, Shabbat, has been translated praise in English. Because your generous, unfailing, never-ending love is better than life, my lips will shabak you. My lips will praise you. I can't keep this quiet. I can't keep this to myself. I want to shout it from the rooftops. I want to yell it in the streets. David says, I want to praise you loudly. I want to give you the glory that you alone deserve. Your unshakable love, your steadfast love is better than life itself. And I want the whole world to hear about it. Verse 4, so I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. So he's showing us that because of God's love for him, David is now really able to live, and he isn't going to take his life for granted. David is declaring he's, he's committing his entire life to the blessing of his Father in heaven. He says, in your name, I will lift my hands. Now, to lift your hands can be an act of praise or adoration, can it? For some, it's a sign of surrender. Still for others is an expression of our dependence upon God, like a young child who lifts up his hands to his mom or dad, like a young child reaching out, waiting for someone to take his hand. So we have King David here in the wilderness, on the run, desperately longing for his father. And what does he do? He praises God. David commits his life to blessing God, to praising God. He lays aside his accomplishments, the battles that he has won, the enemies he has defeated. He lays aside his title and status as the king of Israel. And he shows us how he longs, how he's dependent upon God, how he's reaching out to God in dependence upon him. And yet still, he praises God, and he does it loudly. You see, David realized that praise is the most powerful when it comes from a place of current suffering. Praise is most powerful when it comes from a place of current sufferings. I think it's important to note how often it's recorded that God spoke and ministered to people in the wilderness. It was there that Moses and the people of Israel received much of the Pentateuch, or the first five books of the Bible, before entering the Promised Land. It was in the wilderness that the Word of God came to both Elijah and John the Baptist. And even we see Jesus himself as he was driven into the wilderness and tempted by Satan. You see, the wilderness strips us of our defenses. It reveals our vulnerabilities. It quiets us before our holy God. It humbles us. It causes us to long for him, 
It causes us to reach out in total dependence on Him. Praise is most powerful when it comes from a place of current sufferings. Our second point, praise is most meaningful when it remembers God's past blessings. In verse 5 we read, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. So we've seen here in the first few verses how David has a longing for his God. David has this insatiable longing for him to provide nourishment and healing to his worn and weary soul. In these verses, we see how David remembers that his soul can be made whole again. And all of a sudden, as he's in this attitude of reflection, he remembers how his soul could be satisfied. David remembers that his soul is satisfied when he remembers God's blessings, when he remembers or meditates or considers all this in the watches of the night. So according to Old, Test, Old Testament practice, the night was divided up into uh, three sections or what they called watches that were four hours each. So David says that he remembers the Lord's past blessings as he draws comfort during the night when he can't sleep, when the shadows of adversity haunt him. He says, I meditate. I remember all the many blessings that God has given me through the years. David remembered how God had enabled him to fight off the lion and, and the bear, how God had given him the boldness and the strength to defeat Goliath. And when he just sits back and meditates on God and his glory on those dark and sleepless nights, it's then, it's during these times that David says that he is full. It's during these times that he says that he is content. It's during these times where his soul is finally satisfied. One translation says, you satisfy, me with the, you satisfy me more than the richest feast. I will praise you with songs of joy. I lie awake thinking of you, meditating on you through the night. As David reflects, he remembers that God more than satisfies David's thirst. His soul itself is satisfied. And, his, and acts of praise fills his thoughts and time. Verse 7, for you have been my help. In the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. So the basis for David's meditation is the recognition that God has been his help. He always has. God has been his protector. And we see that right here in verse 7 where he says, in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. David tells us, the reader, where he goes for comfort, where he goes for protection. It's in the shadow of God's wings. To be in someone's shadow, are you far away from them? Audience participation. Thank you. <laughs> no, you have to be close behind them the shadow of God's wings. This is actually a statement that was a frequent prayer of David's. We see in Psalm 17, verses 8 and 9, David writes, Keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings from the wicked who do me violence, my deadly enemies who surround me. And again, in Psalm 36, verse 7, he says, How precious is your steadfast love, O God. The children of mankind take refuge in the shadow of of your wings. Of your wings. Amen. So, amen. amen. 
So while David is in this wilderness, in this attitude of longing for God, he meditates. He remembers how he is protected under the shadow of God's wings. What's David's response? What does this cause David to do? David says that in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. And the verb here, sing, actually means to shout for joy, to rejoice. It's not quiet. It's a shout for joy. And this is a result of the reminder of God's protection, a reminder of how he has taken refuge in him while in this desert of his soul. So once again, David could do nothing but shout for joy. He says in verse 8, My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. You know, David's confidence lies in the Lord. David clings to God. Or another way to put it is, my soul, my life, my very self, it clings to you. It adheres to you. Your right hand upholds me. Your right hand holds me securely. So while David is praising his father, he's holding out his hands to him, just like a young child. And the powerful, authoritative hand of God holds him securely. It holds him during the good times and the bad. It holds on to him as steady as a post. Well, Thomas Dorsey's song, Take My Hand, Precious Lord, is probably one of the most beloved gospel songs of all time. The song comes from profound personal tragedy. You see, in August 1932, Dorsey, a band leader and accompanist, was on top of the world. He'd been recently hired as a director of the gospel chorus at the Pilgrim Baptist Church in Chicago, and he was also about to become a father for the first time. Well, it says that Dorsey was nervous about traveling to a gospel music convention so close to his wife's due date, but she had given her blessing for him to go. While he was away in St. Louis, Dorsey received word that there had been some complications with Nettie's childbirth. He raced back to Chicago, but both mother and child had died. The double funeral took place at Pilgrim Baptist Church. Dorsey later said, I looked down that long aisle which led to the altar where my wife and baby lay in the same casket. My legs got weak. My knees would not work right. My eyes became blind with a flood of tears. Dorsey fell into a deep depression. He questioned his faith and even thought of giving up gospel music. Dorsey's friend and fellow chorus director, Theodore Fry, persuaded him to accept a dinner invitation. After dinner, Dorsey meandered over to the grand piano and began to play the hymn, Must Jesus Bear the Cross Alone, with its lyric, There's a cross for everyone, and there's a cross for me. Dorsey began to play variations on the hymn's melody, adding new lyrics. He called Fry over and, and began to sing, Blessed Lord, take my hand. Fry stopped him and said, No, man, no. Call him precious Lord. Dorsey tried it again, replacing blessed with precious. That does sound better, he told Fry. That's it. Dorsey returned home and finished the song in the next day or two. And he later debuted it, the song, Take My Hand, Precious Lord, 
for the pilgrim congregation at a Sunday worship service. The lyrics filled the sanctuary that morning. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I am tired. I am weak. I am worn. Dorsey was shocked to find congregants out of their seats and in the aisles crying out in prayer. His song of deliverance from unbearable pain touched the heart of a congregation of black Americans with testimonies of their own, of illness, of death, of poverty, of the daily indignities of discrimination. Like David, Dorsey was reminded that if he would cling to God, he would never be let go. He would never be let down. God had never let him down yet, and God would continue to protect and to hold him. So in memory and meditation, King David found security. He remembered that the same God that delivered the children of Israel from Egypt had also delivered him. He had been delivered time and time and time again. And you know, it really is a good thing to tap into our own, mem- our own memories and to reflect on all that, has God, that God has done for us, isn't it? It's good to remember when he has satisfied our souls, to remember when we have taken refuge in the shadow of his wings. You see, memory encourages faithfulness, our faithfulness, as, as it shows us the faithfulness of God in our lives. When we realize the faithfulness of God in our lives, we can do nothing but rejoice. We can do nothing but to sing out with a loud shout of praise. Amen? Amen. Amen. Praise is most meaningful when it remembers God's past blessings. And number three, praise is most hopeful when it's anchored in God's future promises. Praise is most hopeful when it's anchored in God's future promises. Verse 9, but those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword. They shall be a portion for jackals. So David was in a battle. There were enemies who wanted to destroy his life. But David was confident that because of God's help and because of God's power, they would be the ones destroyed. They would be the ones marked for doom. They would be the ones marked for death. They would be the ones bound for hell. He goes on to say that they will be given over to the power of the sword, that they would, vi- they would be the ones who would die violent deaths, becoming food for foxes. So David was so confident that God would slay his enemies, wasn't he? He was confident in his future victory. So like David, we too have our enemies. And the Apostle Paul reminds us that Our real foes, our real enemies are not human. He says in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. And while the devil seeks to destroy us, it is he who will finally be destroyed. We, through Christ, will have the final victory. Verse 11, But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall exalt. 
for the mouths of liars will be stopped. David would would rejoice in God because he had hope. He had the confidence that God would one day destroy the wicked, protecting his people, protecting his anointed king. He's confident that the God that David had been so desperately longing for would arrive. He realized that God had been there the whole time. (laughs) He had been there the whole time holding tightly onto David. Church, he has been here the whole time holding tightly onto you, holding tightly onto me. It goes on to say that all who swear by him shall exalt, for the mouths of liars will be stopped. It's saying that all who has sworn an oath of loyalty or allegiance to God will not be disappointed. They will be able to exalt. They will be able to boast. Those who are, who are united with God will be able to celebrate. Why? Because they will be victorious. For the liars will be proven wrong. The mouths of liars will be stopped by God's judgment. They have hope. His victory has become their victory. We have hope because his victory has become our victory. Praise is most hopeful when it's anchored in God's future promises. Mike Howerton in his book, Glorious Mess, uh, described how different were the motivational methods of the two men who coached his high school football team. Coach Crow and Coach Rush. When his team was losing during halftime, these two coaches would give two very different pep talks. He says, Coach Crow would come in growling, spitting disdain in his words at us. What a bunch of losers. Your flimsy arm tackles make me want to throw up. I'm going to go look for some diapers for you babies to wear in the second half. Maybe then you won't embarrass yourself so much. He'd leave and, and absolute silence would descend, virtually no sound except for the muffled sobs of Monty, our kicker in the corner. Then our defensive head coach, Coach Rush, would come in. He'd look each of us in the eyes with his steely glint. And when he began to speak, you could feel strength flow into your limbs. He would begin with something like this, measured, masculine, and building an intensity. I don't see high school students. I see lions. This locker room is filled with lions. A bunch of lions is called a pride. A pride of lions hunts together. A pride of lions kills together. Lions are majestic to behold. Lions are the kings of the land, and this is your land. You are the pride here. But there's one thing I haven't heard you lions do tonight. I haven't heard you roar. Now we're going to go out there and everyone in this town is going to hear you roar because you are lions and lions roar. And he said that we'd erupt in an ear-splitting roar, even Monty, because we weren't seniors or juniors, we were lions and lions roar. And then we'd go out to inevitable victory. Now I think we can all agree that as Christians, we shouldn't need a pep talk or some motivational speech as a reason to praise our holy, magnificent God. Amen? Amen. Amen. We shouldn't need a pep talk or some motivational speech to praise Him loudly. 
Don't we have enough reasons to praise him so that the whole world can hear? You see, like David, we too can be confident that the lies of our adversaries will, will cease. We have been guaranteed the greatest victory. And folks, the, the praises of our Lord alone will be heard in the end. Talk about hearing a lion roar. <laughs> so where are you today? Are you high up on a mountaintop and life is good? Are you wandering around in the wilderness desperately searching, desperately longing for God? Or maybe you're somewhere in between. Remember that no matter where you are, you're not alone. God has got a hold on, of you, and he's not going to ever let you go. We've seen through our text this morning three different times in which we should sing out a shout of praise to our great God. We've learned that praise is most powerful when it comes from a place of current suffering. We've learned that praise is most meaningful when it remembers God's past blessings. And we've remembered that praise is most hopeful when it's anchored in God's future promises. So church, let the volume of our praise be louder than our pain. Let, the, let our praise be louder than any distraction, any sickness, any problem. Let it be louder than any other thing in our lives because he alone is worthy of all of our praises. In this psalm, David's longing for God is satisfied as he worships, as he meditates, and then goes into battle. So we too must worship and meditate before we fight, because we can only fight in the power of our God. And we then need to fall close behind him, to be protected under his wings, to be upheld by his right hand. And as this becomes our spiritual lifestyle, we too will see God's power and glory in the sanctuary, and our hunger and longing for him will be satisfied. In a few moments, the worship team will be leading us in a new song called Lion. Many of you have probably heard it. In it, we're given the reminder that Jesus is the roaring lion of Judah, both majestic and strong. And we're given a tangible reminder of God's power and God's glory. And with this song, we can sing out of God's power that we as Christians have in our lives, no matter where we are, no matter what we are going through. So church, as we live out our lives, let's sing like David, lifting up a shout of praise. Let's raise a holy roar to our King of Kings, our Lord of Lords, the Lion of Judah, the one who has already given us victory over sin and death. Let the volume of our praise be louder than our pain. Let's pray. Father God, we worship you today. And like David, we seek you. We long for you in this dry and weary land. We long for you to fill any emptiness, empty void, any empty void that we have. 
But God, we praise you. We praise you for what you are currently doing among us. We praise you for your past blessings, how you gave up your one and only son that we could be saved from sin and death. And God, as we praise you for our future victory, we praise you for all that you are. God, as we sing this last song of praise to you, may it be our anthem to raise as we remember how great and mighty and powerful you are. And God, we do look forward to that day when we will one day hear the line of Judah roar as you once and for all defeat the enemy. We praise you, Lord. We love you. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.